Hi, this is Paul Slackis, Good News Plan. I'm speaking to James Jimstone. Hi, Jim. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I hope you are, too. Okay, I gave you two two names here uh, because you're a busy you guy. Call me Jim? And, uh, Please call founder, me Jim. Uh, chairman and CEO of the Plymouth Rock uh, Group of Companies. I believe had revenues over a, a billion bucks. Uh, so you know how to, to do business, obviously. Um, and you're a do-gooder in addition to that. You're on some boards, uh, Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. I like that. A family guy as well. And uh, uh, chairman of the board of advisors of the government. And we're going to talk about, in essence, I guess, the management of uh, of America maybe <laughs> here. Uh, you wrote a book called Five Easy Theses, and it's called Common Sense Solutions to America's Greatest Economic Challenges. I guess those five areas that you thought are important for us to think on is uh, fiscal balance, income inequality, education, health care, and financial sector reform. But since we only have a few minutes here, basically, Jim, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions that actually that your team thought were important to share at this moment. One was, and uh, and congratulations for for doing the book. Well, thanks. It was a lot of work, but I feel good about it. <laughs> okay, because it's done, <laughs> and you got a lot of pace. <laughs> this is uh, the enjoyable why, part. Here's a question, uh, and we we do reach out a lot to the 50 plus committee. Why the U.S. needs to raise the age for Social Security benefits? Yeah, it's not something that I I think anyone should want to do. It's just something we have to do. Uh, Social Security eligibility age was set from uh, life expectancy tables almost 100 years old. People were living then into their 60s. Now they live almost to 80. And, you know, if we make progress, you mentioned Cold Spring Harbor. I see a lot of progress in cancer research. I think people are going to be living regularly into their 90s soon. And we just can't afford to keep things the same as they were way back then when people died much younger. Have to pay for all those years. I think even the U.S. Census with some research uh, has come up for like 2050, uh, 120 for men and 128 for women. Uh, <laughs> That's what I think their uh, their 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 number is. You know, with the DNA, gem, stem cells, all these kinds of new things, right? Yeah, and you just have to, you know, move it just a few years, and Social Security becomes totally unaffordable. So it's not that anybody, as I said, wants to increase the eligibility age so much as we have to. And in fact, that's the theme of the whole book, that these are all things that we really have to do. And they're not necessarily popular, and they're not necessarily easy, and politicians won't necessarily lead the charge. But these are things we have to do. So if we do these kind of say we let's just take that for an example because uh you know we have these the, our our political structure is uh, you know 4 years and then another 4 years so it's in essence you could say it's short term management right you know you run a company uh and i imagine that you're looking at some long term management right um, absolutely so so for example social security so say we uh, instituted this this concept right uh but Let's start at 20 years from now, or, or whatever it takes, you know. So those that had assumed that they would be getting it at, uh, say, 65, right, uh, don't have to be, in essence, penalized. It always seems that sometimes when things are thought of that then they, they hit people very quickly 
that aren't haven't planned their you know some people plan their life that at 65 I am going to retire you know they're exhausted or whatever the reason is. What do you think in that regard? I mean, some long-term planning. Yeah. Can, can we do that here? Well, the, the kind of phase-in that you suggested is the way Social Security has been changed over the years and the way it should be changed. So, yeah, it would be phased in. But but it's important to, to lock in that you're going to do it early so that people have a lot of warning. So what I don't want is to see us come, you know, at full speed towards a wall 20 years from now and then have to change it all of a sudden, which is unfortunately what, what's going to happen if we don't face the issue. So, yeah, slow phase in is the right answer, but starting immediately. Okay, very nice. All right. How mandatory military and social service could cut down on student loan debt? How does that one work? Yeah, a, a, our education system just doesn't work as well as it should at the K through 12 level. You know, we're not training people in high school for careers. Only those who are going on to university are getting the right kind of one-size-fits-all education. But then they go to university and can't afford it because the middle class is being squeezed out of being able to, to afford it. There's a lot of angry voters this year, and they're not wrong. The median income has not increased in the United States since 1974, but education costs have gone way up, so the middle class is being squeezed out. A universal national service program would give vocational training to those not going to college, and we could finance through it the the, the education of, of those who do go on to college. It would just be a better way to do it. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, why regulating too big to fail banks will stop damage to jobs and small businesses? We already regulate banks a lot. I'm not proposing any philosophical change in that. What I am saying is that these banks are simply too large to serve a useful function. And in fact, the whole financial sector is too large. The, the financial sector is meant to serve the real commercial industry sector. And it's instead, uh, the phrase I like to use is it's grabbed all the seats in the front row. Uh, the financial sector has become much too large, out of balance. It's taking too much of the profits. It's, it's taking too much of the talent. And it's supposed to serve and not dominate. We, we should downsize it. Okay. Um, and uh, why right to die is important for improving health care costs and efficiencies? Well, I, I haven't actually taken a position on right to die if by that you mean assisted suicide. But what I have said, what I have said is that you should ask people how much extreme care at the end, how much intervention, how much life support they want, and then follow their wishes. That's a reasonable thing to do. We shouldn't be spending vast amounts of money, which we do, keeping people alive by extreme measures when the quality of life is gone and they don't want to be kept alive at that point. That's different from assisted suicide, which is a much more complicated issue. Uh, we... we uh... And, and hospitals, don't we don't we sign some paperwork about things like this? About there are, 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 yeah, uh, and some hospitals obey it and some don't. 
some hospitals obey it and some don't, and some um, consult with family members, and if they consult with five or six family members and one says, I don't care what he said, I want you to keep him alive, the hospital has a difficult decision, some go one way, some the other, uh, I think we could have a much more orderly process at the end. And we're going to have to because we just really can't afford, as the technology gets better, there are more and more ways to intervene with extreme measures at the end, and we're just not going to be able to afford them all. Again, that's sort of a consistent theme throughout the book, that the public needs to have something of a reset of thinking to say, yeah, that these may not be things that are wonderful in every respect to change, but we have to be realistic about what the society can afford. For the young people uh, out there, did you think you'd be writing a book like this when you were in high school? <laughs> I probably wasn't thinking about much other than what adolescents <laughs> think about at that time, which we don't need to discuss on this show. <laughs> well, you've been quite successful, and, you, and and you've have given back immensely, and that's a beautiful thing. I I ask everybody, and we could speak longer. I uh, I know your busy schedule here, and congratulations. The book is called "The Common Sense Solutions to America's Greatest Economic Challenges: Five Easy uh, Theses." Um, Five so easy I ask theses everybody, what is find it yeah. to them? What is good news to you, Jim? Uh, what's good news to me? I, right. I, you know, I, I always think that when your own life is going reasonably well, you're healthy, happy, your children, your family are healthy or happy, and you feel you've made the world a little bit better, mm -hmm. that should make you happy. That That's combination nice should make Beautiful. you happy. Thank you very much. I have one last question. We're very involved with the International Day of Peace, World Peace Day, uh, where 193 countries agreed to a day of peace. Um, and we do some projects in that regard. And I've asked thousands of people, what does peace mean to them? So I want to ask you that as well. And last question. Well, that is certainly not what my book is about because it's all domestic policy. But right. for me, uh, peace, peace really means curbing the instinct, the negative instinct that, that some people and some groups have for aggression. It is keeping aggression at the lowest possible level. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. No one's ever said that one, but it's a good one. All right, Jim. Okay, thank well, you so much you. for sharing good news, and uh, and best of luck with the book. However we can support you, uh, please let us know. Well, buy the book, Five Easy Theses. Thank you for letting me be on the show. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.